If you have your Bible, and if you don't, why, jump up and run and get it there. It's probably not too far away. Open it to the book of Matthew, first of all. We're going to use quite a number of scriptures today, but the book of Matthew, chapter number 28. Now, my subject to you today is, if a man die, will he live again? If a man die, will he live again? That question was posed by Job. Job lived, if you remember, way back right after the flood, we believe, way long in ancient history. Job actually lived before the pyramids were built in all probability. And so he asked a question in his sorrow and in his time of difficulty. If a man die, will he live again? That's about as ancient a question as I could find. You know, I, I don't think there's ever been since the first resurrection day an Easter like this one. I don't believe there's ever been in all of history in 2,000 years an Easter Sunday like this. And let me tell you why. It's really an irony. It's, it's beyond the ability to get your mind around the fact that our churches are empty because we fear death on the very day that we celebrate Jesus' victory over it. Let me say that again. That is an irony of ironies, is it not? Our churches are empty because we fear death. And yet, we're here today to celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ over death. You might say that Easter is the day that death died. And I'll explain that to you as we go along. But this C-19 or COVID-19 uh, virus has made people mindful of our mortality. And I think this year on this Easter, it's very different because the body count goes up every day. Over 100,000 worldwide, over 10,000 in the United States alone. And it makes people think about death, even though we don't like to think about death. And it brings home the relevancy of Job's question to us today. Several thousand years ago, that man asked, if a man die... Will he live again? Well, the answer to that is found in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment or his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Oh, what words. He is not here. The tomb is empty. He is risen as he said, just like he promised numerous times. Come and see the place 
where the Lord lay. So there's the answer to Job's question. If a man die, will he live again? And the answer, well, yes, Jesus Christ proved that death would be defeated and that a man could die and live again. Throughout human history, man has had an innate belief in immortality. Throughout all of recorded history, people have dreamed of an afterlife. Every tribe, every nation, every language, every religion, every race of people that I can discover anything about has believed in some sort of life after death. I believe that that intuition, that, that idea that their life will continue after we pass away physically, I believe that that's part of our image of God that's stamped upon us. I believe it's almost genetic, that it's a part of our DNA, that we don't have to go to school and learn that. We don't have to go to church and learn it. It is a part of our being, our image of God. Yes, there is life after this life. The Egyptians certainly believed in that, and so they mummified the bodies of their people. And they built the pyramids as a house for them, especially their royalty. And they stuffed those pyramids with all kinds of things and commodities that they felt they would need in the next life, that there was activity in the next life. The Sioux Indian believed that. He believed in the concept of the happy hunting ground, a place where the earth would be beautiful, that it would flourish, that it was full of animals, that the hunting would be easy, and that all the elements, the earth, the sky, the fire, the water would all live in harmony together. The Norsemen believed in that. They had a belief in the afterlife where the warriors would go to a place called Valhalla. Valhalla was a great banquet hall. It seated multitudes, an innumerable number of people. And there they would feast on meat. That's all they wanted to eat. So their idea of heaven was to eat meat throughout eternity. There they would practice their fighting. Up on a dais, a throne above them would be Odin, the king of the gods, and he would reside there. Sometimes if a person was a special leader and especially renowned, they'd put the body in a canoe and they would push it out to sea, believing that that would be a quicker route to Valhalla than in any other way. As far as I can determine in my research for this, I believed every one of these people believed in an existence, a life after death, but I don't believe any of them believed in a physical resurrection. Their idea of the next life was that when a person's body died, it was buried or burned or whatever, and then the spirit would go to the next world. And so it, they look forward to a heaven that was a spirit-only existence. And the Bible is unique in that it not only speaks about the spirit living eternally, the Bible also presents as fact that there will be a physical resurrection from the grave. Dr. Lakin, an old evangelist who used to preach all across this country, and he came and preached here real often, and he said, I'm not interested in that spirit existence. I don't want to be haunted. I want to be resurrected. 
And I certainly agree with him today. But throughout history, there's been this innate belief in every kind of tribe, nation, and person that life will go on after this life. But they only believed in it existing spiritually. Now, in God's revealed Word, the Bible, where God took the initiative to show us the things that we needed to know and that He wanted us to know, and in His revealed Word, the Bible, He teaches us about the resurrection of the body as well as the spirit and soul. I look through my Old Testament, and certainly the Old Testament teaches a physical resurrection. I turn to the book of Job first, and here's Job who asked the question, if a man die, will he live again? He asked that in chapter 14 and chapter 19. Boy, he answers it, and he answers it very, very clearly. Job 19 and 25. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the last day upon the earth. He says, I know that Christ will stand. And then he says, after the skin worms destroy this body, the physical body, yet in my flesh, in that body that has been destroyed by those skin worms, I will see God. A clear and absolute statement of a physical resurrection. Abraham was told by God to take his son upon Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him. And I see that old man now, a hundred years old plus, taking that young teenage boy and a couple of his servants go with him and they help him. They put the wood on the donkey and they get the fire and collect it in a pot and they keep a charcoal burning there. I see him with his knife and his belt and he's making his way up that hill. He knows that God is calling upon him to sacrifice his son. This is the test of all tests that a person could endure. And at the bottom of the hill, he tells his servants, you stay here, and the lad and I will go on beyond you. We'll go up to the hill, and I'll make the sacrifice. And then Abraham says, and then after I've sacrificed my son, we will return. He believed that God would resurrect that boy. And the book of Romans, Paul picks that up, and here's what he says. Abraham accounted that God was able to raise him, that's Isaac. He accounted that God would raise up Isaac from the grave. There's the resurrection. 2 Samuel 12 and 23. David stands and looks at the corpse of his little baby that was born and then died just a few hours afterward. And here's the word of that man who had a heart like God himself. David said, he is dead. Can I bring him back again? Obviously, no. But I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. There's going to be an afterlife. And I can't bring back my little dead baby, but I can go to him where he is. Psalm 17 and 15, the psalmist said, I will behold thy face in righteousness when I awake with thy likeness. Psalm 49 and 15, 
God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. I read where some liberal preacher said, I, I don't think the Old Testament talks about the resurrection. Well, he ought to read his Old Testament again, don't you think? And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, and verse number 8, here's where he missed it. Isaiah 25 and 8, he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. Death will be swallowed up in victory. The victory, of course, being the resurrection. Ezekiel, the great prophet of God, was visited one night with the Lord in a vision. And here is what the Lord revealed to Ezekiel. He looked and he saw a great valley, mountains on either side, and the valley was full of bones, dry, bleached bones of thousands of people perhaps filling up that great valley. And in Ezekiel 37, he said, I looked and I saw. And one of those bones got up, and the bone, the foot bone, connected itself to the ankle bone, and then the knee bone, and the hip bone, and he goes right up the body. And finally, the flesh comes upon that skeleton, and there is a resurrection that he sees in this vision. Now, it is an analogy. It is obviously speaking of the nation of Israel being resurrected, but it also implies a physical resurrection in the future. Daniel leaves no doubt about it, whatever. And in the book of Daniel, chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and contempt. And over at the end of Hosea, the very next book, the prophet said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Words could not be any clearer, could they? So all the way through the Old Testament, there is this promise of an afterlife of immortality, but it's not just spirits floating around. It's the promise of a resurrection. If a man die, can he live again? And the Old Testament resoundingly answers that with, yes, we will live again. But we now turn to the New Testament. And in our New Testament, every single author of the New Testament speaks of the resurrection. Matthew, for example, mentions the resurrection 14 times. Mark mentions resurrections of various kinds 10 times. Luke chapter 13, or rather Luke mentions it 13 times. John refers to the resurrection 18 times, a total of 55 references to the resurrection of the body, sometimes referring to the resurrection of Jesus most of the time, but numerous times referring to the resurrection of other people, of even us, a general statement. Fifty-five times in four Gospels, we are taught there will be a physical resurrection. Jesus himself prophesied about his own resurrection. He said to them one day, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish and the whale, 
For three days and three nights, even so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he cleansed the temple one day, drove out the money changers. The Pharisees came and said, who do you think you are? By what authority do you do this? And Jesus said, here's the authority that I had, that I have, inferring that he was God, of course. He said, you can destroy this temple in which he was standing. It took them 47 years to build this temple. You can destroy it, and in three days, I will raise it up again. And then the Bible says, this he spake of his own body. And later when he had passed away and ascended to heaven, the disciples said, we remember that. We remember that day. He clearly said when he was talking about the temple, he was talking also about his own body. And then he resurrected. And six weeks later, on that same street where that activity had taken place 40-some days before, Peter stands there with a great, great throng of people. We don't know how many. We know that 3,000 were saved and baptized. How many people gathered that day? We don't know. But it had only been 40-some days, six weeks approximately, since Christ had been crucified, less than a mile from where Peter stood. And he says to that group of people, by wicked hands you murdered him. But then he says to them, but God has raised him up, Acts 2, 24. God has raised him up, and from that point on, the prominent part of every single message that you hear the apostles deliver in the book of Acts, the most prominent part of it is about the resurrection. They never mention his death and his sacrifice at the cross, it seems, without also mentioning, but he didn't stay in that grave. He is a risen Savior, and apostolic preaching, the preaching of the apostles through the book of Acts. It has this characteristic, an emphasis upon the fact that Jesus Christ not only died, but he resurrected from the grave. And I finally come to the end of the New Testament, and I'm reading the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation. And in chapter 1, I see the fullest description of Jesus given anywhere in the Bible. And then he speaks to John there on the Isle of Patmos. And what does he say? I am he that liveth and was dead. There's your answer, Job. If a man die, will he live again? I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Praise God today. I not only died, but I am alive, and I'm alive forevermore, eternal life, everlasting life. Now I go back to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And by the way, that would be a wonderful chapter for you to read sometime on this Easter because we call that the resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians, Paul analyzes in detail this whole concept of life after death and the resurrection body. And he begins that chapter with these words. Moreover, brethren, 
I declare unto you the gospel. What is the gospel? Oh, on this day, when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let's say the whole truth and nothing but the truth, that the resurrection is the capstone. It is the absolute acme, the peak, the essence of what the gospel really entails. Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, meaning in fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies, and then that He was buried, and then that He rose again, according to the Scriptures. And so, the gospel is that Christ died on the cross, as I tried to bring to you last week in detail, that He was there to offer Himself as the sacrifice. He was there to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He was there that day to offer His blood, His very life, to pay the penalty that you and I and every human being owed because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Christ died in our place as our substitute for our sins. That's point one of the gospel. But he had to be buried, and that was to give evidence to the fact that he truly died, that he wasn't in an unconscious swoon state, that he died. And then lastly, that great truth, and on the third day he arose again for our sins one scripture says, for our justification, to justify us, to declare us now absolutely forgiven, to clear the record for you and me. You see, without that resurrection, the gospel would be incomplete. It would be a partial good news. It was good news that he died, but hey, if he just was buried and he's there now, well, that leaves us empty. But it's the good news because he died, he was buried, and he arose again on that third day. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, understand the importance of the resurrection. Both Old Testament and New Testament speak of it repeatedly. It is so vital to our faith today. Now, we come to this day, this very strange Easter Sunday. And so, why do we celebrate? Let me tell you what the accomplishments of the resurrection are. I usually dwell on some apologetic-type preaching of giving the evidence for the resurrection of Christ and so on, but I, I don't know that that's necessary right now. I want to tell you what the, what the resurrection accomplished. What are we really celebrating today? And I have three things. There are really more, but that's all I'll have time for. Number one, Christ's resurrection broke the power of sin and death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ broke the power of sin and the power of death. Now, listen closely. You're going to have to reason with me. You ready to think a little bit? Uh, you can't wander off here. Uh, I want you to go with me point by point through a little uh, uh, rational thinking, okay? Jesus was sinless. That meant that death had no power over Jesus. Jesus never would have died had he not voluntarily and willingly died. He was sinless. 
and death had no claim on him. You see, the wages of sin is death, and Christ had no sin. So Jesus Christ would have lived in his body eternally because there was no sin about him. But for all of us who have ever sinned, we're under the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. Now, you see, when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sins upon himself. And because he was bearing my sin and yours, he became subject to death. Because the Bible says he was made sin for us. Now he becomes subject to death. And the immortal Jesus Christ, Son of God, can die because he has been made sin for us. And he died. He said, it's finished. And when he had paid the penalty, now reason with me, death no longer has a claim on him. He's paid all the debt of all humanity. He's paid the debt of every man and every woman's sin. Death now has no claim. Its claims are paid, canceled, if you will. And three days later, he resurrected. And things have never been the same before the resurrection of Christ. Unless people knew the Scriptures, there was no hope of anything after that except some ghosty existence possibly. But now there is an assurance. Sin is canceled. The debt of sin is canceled. Death has received a mortal wound. Death will die ultimately. You see, it's like this. I hear hunters talk about this. Hunters don't like to shoot a game, a wild animal, and not immediately kill the animal because they know the animal will go off somewhere for days and will suffer and bleed, and it will be possibly a very painful and horrible death. So a good hunter wants a clean shot. He wants a clean kill. Now, Jesus that day didn't do a clean kill on death. He wounded death mortally. And the death of death is sure to come. In fact, the Bible says the last enemy that will die or be eliminated will be death. You see, he fired the fatal shot at Calvary. And now, because sin is still in the world, death is still in the world. But God's plan is working out, and death will be ended. It is dying as I speak. So today we celebrate the death. We celebrate the fact that death is a defeated foe. There's a poem, and it's a long poem. I'd like to read it to you, but I don't have time. It takes 10 minutes to read it. It's the day that death met Jesus, or the day that death met the Master, I think. And here's the way it, it pictured. Here's the summary of the poem. The poem pictures Christ in the tomb. And it's dark as pitch. And over here in the corner is death. And death is standing there, and death is just wringing his hands in glee. He is smiling. 
The poem pictures death as just exalting in, look there, I have defeated him. And then he stirs and he resurrects. There are the clothes lying there. He stands up. He's in no hurry. He owns all time. He folds the napkin and lays it there. If people had come and stolen his, his body, do you think they would have stopped and folded a napkin? And he lays the, the napkin down, and there are the clothes that he was clothed in. And he stands up like a valiant soldier, and he sees death, and he grasps death by the throat, throws him on the ground, puts his foot on the throat of death, and the Lord Jesus Christ then pushes away the stone, and he walks out of there in triumph. Death is defeated by our Lord Jesus Christ. John Doan, the famous English poet, said, O death, be not, be not proud. O death, be not proud. God will not let you win. And how true that is today. As I've heard the story through the years of the little boy, and he got stung on the arm by a bee, maybe a bumblebee, I don't know what kind, the kind that leaves a stinger there and can only sting once. And the little boy screaming and crying, tears running down his face, and he says, oh, mama, mama, it hurts. And he's just crying and weeping and carrying on. His mama looks at his arm, there's the stinger of the bee, a little brown string-like affair. It's protruding from the place where the little boy was stunned. And the mother pulls it out, and she says to the little boy as she comforts him, she says, look, honey, don't be afraid of him. Now all he can do is buzz, but he can't bite. And that's death because 1 Corinthians 15 and 55 says that the sting of death is past. And for us as Christians, death can buzz, but he can't bite. Because, you see, we know we're going to live eternally with our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ's re resurrection broke the power of sin and death. Number two, the resurrection proved that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ was not a mortal man. He was the Son of God. It's the greatest evidence of His deity. Romans 1 and 4 says, He is declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. Declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Remember, He died for us as the perfect man, but He's also Almighty God. And the resurrection proves that after he voluntarily and willingly sacrificed his life, he could overcome death, put his foot upon his throat, and walk out of that tomb as the resurrected Son of God. Someone said if he had not been infinite, and if he had not been omnipotent, the sins of mankind would have been a gravestone so heavy it would have sunk him. End of quote. But he was infinite, and he is omnipotent, and he had the power to defeat sin and death. And without the resurrection, you know, if, if the resurrection had not occurred, Jesus Christ would be 
among that long list of people who thought they were God and were not. He would have been exposed as a fraud. His cause would have been in the dustbin of history. But Jesus Christ conquered death and proved he was not just a man. He was the God-man who came and paid for the sins of the world. And lastly, the resurrection assures us of eternal life. I read again, this time from the book of John in the New Testament. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And in John number 11, and down there in verse number 25, Jesus said to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, here's the word to you and me, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Jesus said to her. And in John chapter 14, a couple of pages over, he said, because I live, you will live also. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe on me, you will never die. Speaking of a spiritual life there, of course. And although he promised us that we will not die spiritually, that does not mean, of course, that we will not pass through, the, through physical death. But when we do, we will never be separated from his promise. Probably everyone in America today has thought something along this line. What if I were to get that virus? And what if I were to be one of those people lying in an intensive care unit, isolated, separated, my family can't even come and see me, a ventilator down my throat? What if that were me? And what if I died today? My friend, I certainly fear that, humanly speaking. I don't want that, and so I'm washing my hands and keeping my distance and doing all those things. But let me tell you, if it happens to me, then you rest assured of this. I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will not stay there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Jesus Christ will be with me. He will see me through that moment, that instant of time when I pass from this world into the next world, from one dimension into another dimension. I'll be with him in glory until he chooses to come back and rapture his saints. And then I will get to be with him and witness that glorious event. And no, I don't want to die. I'm going to fight it with everything in my being. But I know that's just a moment when I'm passing through. I'm not staying there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 gives us this assurance. And what a great verse this is. I rediscovered it this week. Romans 8 and 11, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and He does through the Holy Spirit, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal body by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. 
and the Holy Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead will raise us up from the dead. That's God's promise. I want you to grasp that today. I want that to comfort you today. In Ephesians 2, 4 says that God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, He hath made alive all of us together with Christ. By grace, He says, you are saved. And so today we celebrate this day because Jesus Christ, His resurrection assures us of our resurrection. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan preacher, said, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds tomorrow. How precious is the dust of a believer, said that old ancient sage, that we're more sure to rise out of our graves than we are out of our bed in the morning. The resurrection assures us of eternal life. It proves that Jesus was the Son of God, and it broke the power of sin and death and the devil in our lives. Right there in your home, wherever you are today, I want to tell you, you can have that life. You can experience the peace that comes from knowing that no matter what happens in this life, He is in me and with me and for me. Bow your head with me right there in your home. Will you do that, please?